You know, we've been in this series, Fearless, for the last several weeks. We had no idea when we started a series on living fearlessly in the age of anxiety that we'd be dealing with COVID-19 and all the fears that it brings with it. We talked at the beginning of this series about our three biggest fears as Americans. First, our fear for our own personal health. Second, our fears for our family safety. And then finally, our financial fears. All three are wrapped up in this whole COVID virus thing that we're going through. You know, all the episodes of this series are archived online at SeminoleChurch.com. So if you run out of things to watch on Netflix, you might enjoy binge-watching something uplifting and useful during this quarantine time. Maybe even redeem some of those hours lost on Tiger King. I don't know. What I want to do this Easter is I want us to look at the five reasons why the followers of Jesus Christ, all of us, are the most hopeful people on the planet. We have far more to be hopeful about than anyone else in the world because of what Jesus did at the resurrection. So if you've got your outline and you've got a pen, let's look at why do we have more hope than anyone? The first thing I want you to write down, number one, we have hope because we've been completely forgiven. We have been completely forgiven Jesus repeatedly said over and over and over again, I'm going to die on the cross to pay for all of your sins. And then he said, and then I'm going to come back to life three days later to prove that I am who I say I am. Now, if he hadn't have done that second part, the first part doesn't really matter. If he didn't come back to life, then we have every reason to doubt that he really died for our sins. The two go together. Ephesians 1.7 in the NIV says, In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We're all imperfect. We all carry regrets. We all carry remorse. And we all wish we had done things differently. We all have sins and things that we feel bad about and guilty about. And God doesn't want us carrying that guilt through life. God doesn't want you carrying a load of shame through life. The whole reason Jesus died on the cross was so that you, should, you could be free from all that guilt and all that shame. Guilt wastes a lot of energy. It fatigues you, it tires you, it robs you of peace of mind. Jesus says, I came to die for your sins so you don't have to die for them. He says, I was hung on the cross, so you can quit hanging yourself on the cross. I don't know if you've ever asked the question or thought about it this way, but who really killed Jesus? Who put Jesus on the cross? Who is really to blame for Jesus being on the cross? You know, in Romans 4.25, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. If you're following on your outline, circle the word us. He was raised from the dead. This is what Easter is all about. He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Who is included in us? Well, you, me, us. 
We are made right with God. So we've been completely forgiven. That gives me hope. I'm not facing any judgment. I have hope because I've been completely forgiven. The second reason why Jesus' resurrection gives us hope is number two, we are no longer afraid to die. A lot of people are dealing with this kind of a fear right now. They're afraid to die. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that he did was he, he broke the power of death and he broke the power of the fear of death. The fear of death is an, a universal fear. Everybody has it. Let me explain this. If Jesus Christ had not resurrected from the dead, we wouldn't even know that there's life after death. We wouldn't know it. We, we might guess it. We might say, well, I hope there's life after death, but we'd have nothing to prove it. But Jesus Christ came back and he said, I have conquered death. There is greater life after death. And that's good news. That gives us hope. Here's what Jesus said in, in John 11:25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That's a reason for hope this Easter. If Christ hadn't been resurrected on Easter Sunday, then we're all helpless and we're all hopeless. Death is it. It's over. That's it. Now, when Jesus died... They buried him in a tomb. And in those days, they didn't bury people underground as much as they buried them in caves like mausoleums we see today. And they would put a stone in front of the cave and then they would roll it away from time to time and put another family member or body in it and then roll it back. And they did this because entire families for generations would have a family tomb. And there would be a lot of people from that family buried in the same cave. So it's interesting, after Jesus died, that one of his followers, member of the Sanhedrin actually, Joseph of Arimathea, he volunteered his brand new family tomb. And they rolled, they placed Jesus' body in it, and then they rolled this huge stone in front of it. But then Pilate had it sealed, so it couldn't be moved back. It couldn't be opened. And he even posted Roman guards on either side of that stone. Now the disciples who were following Jesus at the time of his crucifixion and death, they were afraid. They were scared to death. They run. They turn tail. They run. They're hiding. They're quarantining, self-distancing self themselves from the Roman guard. That's for sure. They're scared. And none of them believed that the resurrection would happen. We don't find them at the tomb on Sunday morning going, 10, 9, 8, 7. They're hiding in fear. They're disillusioned. They're depressed. They're afraid that they're going to be executed next as the followers of Jesus. So they're running away and they're hiding. Three days later on Easter Sunday morning, one of the women who's been traveling with the disciples, Mary Magdalene, decides she's going to go to the tomb. So she goes to the tomb, and when she gets there, she finds the seal has been broken, 
The stone has been rolled away. There's no body there. And get this. And the grave clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in are folded and sitting on a step in the tomb. By the way, some people said, well, maybe somebody stole the body. Well, let me ask you this. If you're going to steal a body, just go ahead and leave the clothes on it. There would be no reason to undress and take the clothes off of a person's body to then go steal the body. If you're going to steal it, you might as well steal the clothes with it. But the clothes are left there folded, so Mary thinks his body has been stolen. I mean, that's a logical conclusion. Then all of a sudden she hears a voice. She hears a voice, she turns around, and Jesus is standing there, the risen Jesus Christ. And he says to her, Mary. And when he calls out her name, as she had heard him call her name many, many times, she knew it was the Lord. And Jesus says, go tell my brothers, go tell my disciples. Specifically, he points out Peter, go tell Peter that I'm alive and I'm coming to see them. (laughs) So Mary runs to the house where the disciples are inside hiding with the door locked for fear, bangs on the door, they let her in, and she says, you guys are not going to believe this, Jesus is alive. And do you know what these great men of faith did? They doubted her. None of them believed her. They said, Mary... You've either seen a ghost or you've had a hallucination. You're just in deep grief. Poor Mary. They don't believe her at all. So the point is this. Even the disciples, none of Jesus' followers actually believed that he'd come back to life until they became eyewitnesses of it. They wouldn't accept just hearsay. They said, I've got to see him to believe him. Now, let me ask you a question. If you saw somebody walking down the street that you had just buried three days earlier, how would that make you feel about that? Maybe confused? Maybe a little scared? Frightened? Fearful? Excited? Do you think you would ever forget that experience? Not likely. Would it change your worldview about life and death? Oh, yeah. Would it give you new hope? You bet. Would you think that there might be life after death? Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's difficult to explain without the resurrection is the sudden change in the disciples because at the resurrection, at the crucifixion, they're all scared to death. They're running, they're afraid, they're defeated, they're demoralized, they're in despair, they're disillusioned, they're even kind of depressed. Three days later, they're ready to take on Nero and the entire Roman Empire. What happened? Well, they had seen Jesus. That's what happened. They were eyewitnesses. Not only these original disciples... But Jesus stayed on the earth for another 40 days, walking around Jerusalem for everyone to see. That's literally why tens of thousands of people became believers in such a very short time, right after the resurrection, is because there were so many eyewitnesses. 
Acts chapter three, chapter one, verse three says, for 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to people many times in many ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. <laughs> Can you imagine me in one of those Roman executioners who put Jesus on the cross? You know, one of the soldiers. And all of a sudden, I mean, you saw the guy die. You pulled him down from, helped pull him down from the cross, and all of a sudden, he's walking down the street giving you a little wave and, and going, he's back. That would be strange. Paul lists just a few of the eyewitnesses in his letter to the Corinthians. This isn't even an entire list. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 8, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, and he was buried... And then he was raised from the dead on the third day. And then it says that he was seen by Peter and the apostles. Then after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. In fact, he sat on a hillside and taught 500 people at once. Then it says, then he was seen by James. Then he was seen by the apostles. And last of all, I too saw him. Paul says, this isn't even the entire list. For 40 days, he has multiple meetings with a lot of different people and friends. This is what's called conclusive proof. This is what's called definitive evidence. Having 900 eyewitnesses would stand up in any court, anywhere in the world, in any time frame. You know, if I were to tell you that a couple weeks ago when Nancy and I and the grandkids were down at Disney, we saw Oprah Winfrey, you might have reason to doubt that because it's just one guy saying it. But if there were 900 different people who said, oh, no, she's been here. She's, in fact, stuck here in this whole Corona thing. She's staying in the Marriott in Lake Mary. And, and if people said, you know, we had dinner with her the other night, and somebody says, oh, well, I had breakfast with her, and some other guy says, oh, well, we saw her, you know, coming out of an establishment. If, if I said, well, we had dinner with her, and, and we sat and talked with her, and there were, there were dozens of people, even hundreds of people, 500 people in the restaurant. If you've got 900 witnesses right off the bat, you got a problem doubting my word on it because there's just so many others. It's not just me saying it. It's eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness for 40 days. And this is why the church exploded. And within a few years, there were 30,000 members of the church just in Jerusalem. And then it had grown to nearly half a million. And then it explodes all over the Roman Empire. And what had been persecuted within 300 years, is now the official religion of the Roman Empire. Why? Because of the resurrection. There were so many eyewitnesses. And it gives us the hope that I don't have to fear death anymore. There is indeed life after death. Now, there's a third reason we have hope, and it's this. Number three, if you'll jot it down. We now have God's Spirit in us. We now have God's Holy Spirit inside of us. And His Spirit is a Spirit of power. 
And His Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. And the night before Jesus went to the cross, before He died, He says, hey guys, I'm going to leave you now. I'm going back to heaven, but I'm going to send My Spirit to live inside of you. And now at the end of the 40 days, Jesus ascends back up to heaven. But before He ascends, He tells them, He says, don't do anything until I send my spirit. Don't try to do anything on your own power. You wait for my spirit. My spirit, he's going to give you the power. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this. Right before he goes back to heaven in Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so 10 days later, after 40 days of, after the resurrection, this is 50 days where we get the word Pentecost, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in every believer. And this is the third reason why Christianity spread so fast after the resurrection. They had seen Jesus face to face. And then he says, I'm going to send my spirit to be in you. And he's going to give you power to do things you could never do on your own. So they've gone from fearful to fearless. They've gone from hopeless to hopeful. They've gone from being cowards to being courageous. Let's take on the Roman Empire. Nothing's going to stop them. They've seen Jesus alive. And he is who he said he is. Now he's saying to them, I'm putting my spirit in you, and they're empowered by God's spirit. Did you know that God never intended for us to go through life just on our own power? God wants to have a personal connection with us. He wants to put his love, his power His Spirit inside us. That gives us a supernatural advantage. It gives us additional power that we don't have on our own. Now here's the amazing thing. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that split history into B.C. and A.D., that same power is available to you on a daily basis. Come on, Jerry. I'm serious. Look at this next verse, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Paul writes and says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. What is this power? It's the power of God's spirit in your life. Now listen, you say, well, Jerry, what does that mean to me? Here's what it means. If God's Spirit can raise a dead Jesus, He can raise a dead marriage. If God's Spirit can raise a dead person, He can raise a dead career. If God's Spirit and resurrection power can raise a dead man, He can raise a dead dream. He can do anything. Anything in your life. It's all easy to Him. What is the power? It's the power 
to be free from your past. It's the power to break those memories that have been holding you back. It's the power to start over when you feel like giving up. It's the power to change things you you could never ever change on your own. It's the power to overcome your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups that are holding you back. It's the power to keep you going when you feel like giving up. That power is available to you. That resurrection power that gave them hope is the reason that we have hope today. There's a fourth reason that we as Christians live with the most hope of anybody on the planet. Why do we have more hope than anybody else? Number four, because we know the purpose we were created for. Most people don't have the slightest idea what the purpose of their life is. If you ask them, what's the purpose of your life? I don't know. You see, you can have success without having significance. Significance comes from knowing your purpose. Why am I here? What on earth am I here for? Why does my life exist? What's the purpose of my life? We talked about this in 40 Days of Purpose at the beginning of the year. Does my life have any meaning? These are the fundamental questions of life. You can fill your life with popularity, with power, with possessions, with all these pleasures, and never know your purpose. And you'll still have emptiness. When you don't know your purpose in life, when you don't know why you're here on earth, there's this big hole in you. And you can try to fill that emptiness with a lot of other stuff. More money, more sex, more achievement, more success, more pleasure, more travel, more sports, more hobbies. All these are good things. But they're never going to take the place of knowing, why in the world are you here? Why do you exist? Why are you even alive? What's the purpose of your life? There are literally hundreds of verses about the purpose of your life in God's book. But if you never read it, you don't know it. You don't know, what on earth am I here for? And at some point, even if you're living the good life, when you put your head down on the pillow at night and you go, there's got to be more to life than this, because there is. You were wired by God for much, much more. You were made for much more than simply the good life. You were made for the better life. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will work out His plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. What is this verse saying? It's saying the reason there's a plan and a purpose for our life is because we have a Creator who loves us. God always acts in love towards us. And because He loves us, He made us for a purpose. We were made by God, and we were made for God. And until you figure that out, life's never going to make any sense. It's just not going to make sense. Knowing I have a purpose in life is one of the things that gives me hope that unbelievers just never have. The fifth reason we can be so hopeful because of the resurrection of Christ is number five. We have an eternal home waiting for us. We have an eternal home in heaven waiting for us. We know as followers of Jesus, the death 
Death is not the end. It's just a transition to better things. In fact, we're going to spend far more time on that side of eternity than on this side. Here on this planet, we get what? 60, 70, 80. The most we're going to get is 100 years on this planet. But on the other side, for those of us who know the Lord, who've accepted salvation, it's trillions and trillions and trillions of years of freedom. The last of the original disciples to die was a guy named John. He's the one who wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not, have et- should not die but have eternal life. The apostle John, actually the Romans tried to poison him. He, he, he was the only one who wasn't murdered because the poison didn't work. So they exiled John to a prison colony on an island called Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. He's actually buried in Ephesus. He lived to be a very old man on the island of Patmos in prison. And by himself, there in his old age, he wrote the last book of the Bible, which is called the Revelation. A lot of people talking about Revelation during this time we're going through. And at the end of that letter to all the churches that we call the book of Revelation is a vision of what heaven is like. What is heaven going to be like? Well, in a word, it's indescribable. It's completely indescribable. You and I trying to understand what heaven is like would be like a mosquito trying to understand the Internet. We just don't have the brain capacity. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Why? Because look at the earth. This is a broken planet. Have we figured this out yet? This is a fallen planet. Nothing works perfectly on this planet. An invisible germ disease can bring us to our our knees like that. Yet even on this imperfect planet, there's still a lot of beauty. Sunrises sunsets, mountains and trees and beautiful flowers, the beaches, and all of the beauty of God that created He created on this earth, yet it's still an imperfect planet. Imagine what a perfect place is going to be like with all the sights and the sounds and the colors and the smells where it's actual, absolutely perfect. All the tastes that are going to be there. You see, the problem with most people is we tend to have a TV vision of heaven, a television vision of heaven. And on television and the movies, they always predict and they show heaven as, first of all, it's a place that is totally white. It's void of all color. Now, why would a God who created all the colors of the rainbow make heaven so boring and all white? And then you're always walking around in fog up to about your knees. Do you even have feet in heaven? You're wearing a white robe and you got angel wings and I guess all there is to do in heaven is play a harp according to Hollywood. Man, that would be hell, wouldn't it? If that's heaven, I don't really want to go. I'd rather just stay here. Thank you. Look, that's not what heaven's going to be like at all. The devil wants you to have this vision of heaven like it's so boring. It's worse than quarantine. We're all the same It's like Groundhog Day, one day after another. Listen to what the Bible says. 
and 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, I've been a pastor here now for 27 years. I've walked with hundreds and hundreds, if not even thousands of people, personally through their pain and their sorrow and their suffering and their sadness and their sickness. The more I see all of that on this earth and I hear about the abuse and the affairs and the assaults and the rapes and the murders and the violence and the racism and the prejudices and the wars, all the bad things that we see, the evil, the terrorism, the more I see in this world of our broken, broken planet. And then I add to that that I have lots of friends and family who've gone on ahead of me into heaven. You know, the older I get, the more heaven sounds like a pretty good deal. And the more I look forward to it, and even the more I'm ready for it, I'm certainly not afraid to die, not even of this virus. Now this is why the resurrection gives us hope. These five things. Why do we have more hope than anybody else on the planet? First, we're completely forgiven. I'm forgiven of everything I've ever done wrong. I'm going to go to bed tonight with a clear conscience knowing that even the sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow and next year and then the next ten years if I'm still here, I've already been forgiven for all of those because Jesus Christ has paid for my sins. I'm completely forgiven. And I also know that I'm not afraid to die because Jesus conquered death and the grave. There's life after death. And then I have God's Spirit living inside me. And He gives me the power make changes in my life I can never make on my own. Habits and hurts and hang-ups and stuff that I don't like about myself. I could never change before. Now I have God's Spirit inside of me giving me the strength to make some of these changes. And I know that I'm living the purpose that I was created for. And I know that one day I'm going to stand before God because I'm going to go to heaven without any doubt. I don't have any question about that. And he's going to say, what did you do with my son Jesus? And I'm going to say, I made him my Savior and my Lord. And he's going to say, welcome into your eternal home. I'm certain I'm going to heaven. I don't have any question about that. You know what my prayer is for you? Is that you would have the confidence that if you were to die tonight, are you certain that you'd go to heaven you go, well, I hope so. Well, hope isn't good enough. You need to be certain. You need certainty. And God wants you to be certain. I can help you to develop that certainty today. I guarantee that I can. If you were to stand before God tonight and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my house? Why should I let you into my home for eternity? Do you know the password? Do you know it? You say, well, I tried to be a nice person. <clears throat> Wrong answer. You can't be good enough to get into a perfect place. Heaven is perfect. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. We need a Savior. That's what Jesus came to be. He came to be your Savior. 
Look, if Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for you, then it would have been a total waste of his blood. There's only one way to have eternal life and salvation. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he told his followers the way. In John 14, verse 1 through 6, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. Thomas, one of the disciples, said, Jesus, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm betting my life that Jesus Christ who rose from the dead is not a liar. What are you betting your life on? My prayer for you is that you will simply open your eyes. That you will today have a moment of clarity. Maybe you've never seen before. A thousand years before you were born, God knew that on Easter Sunday 2020, you'd be sitting down in your own house having Easter at home just so he could get you to pay attention for a few minutes, so that he could say this to you. God wants to say to you, look, I have known everything about you from the moment you were conceived. I saw you form in your mother's womb, and I've loved you every day of your life. There's never been a moment in your life that I was not paying attention to what was going on. I've seen the ups, and I've seen the downs. I've seen the highs and the lows, the good the bad, and the ugly, and I've never stopped loving you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to have your past forgiven, a purpose for living, and a home in heaven. But you have to trust me. I made you to love you, and I want you to learn to love me back. I want you to learn to know me. I want a friendship and a relationship with you. I want to be your heavenly father. And you may be saying, well, Jerry, it's a little too late for me. Look, it is never too late to give your brokenness to God. And we're all broken. We're all broken. Would you like to begin a life of contagious hope? God has been preparing you for this moment your entire life. So what do you do? You say, what do I do? Well, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Easter is all about. Declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? It means that he is God and I'm not. God is God, and I'm not. Lord means you have the right to lead me, because you're my creator. You're God. God is God, and I'm not. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. He's the manager. He becomes like the CEO of my life. I put on a sign that says, under new management. Jesus is Lord. He is God in my life. 
Now, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. But it's a very different prayer because I don't even want you to bow your head and I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to keep your eyes wide open. And I want to invite all of us to read this prayer aloud together. There's nothing magical or mystical about these words. What really matters is the attitude of your heart. And if you mean it, if you mean that you want God to be the Lord, Jesus to be your Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, if you mean it, it's important. If you don't mean it, it doesn't mean anything. But this prayer begins with the word, Dear God, today. So let's read this prayer out loud together. It's there at the bottom of your outline. It'll also be on a slide on the screen. Just keep your eyes open and make this your prayer, and let's read it out loud. It's the salvation prayer. Dear God, today I accept all that Jesus did for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving everything I've done wrong. Thank you that I don't have to fear death. Please put your spirit of love and power in me. Thank you that you will never stop loving me. I want to live for the purpose that you created me for. I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. Amen. Now, if you didn't mean that, it doesn't mean anything. But if you sincerely mean it, it's a big deal. This is called the moment of salvation for you. In fact, I want to congratulate the people who meant this prayer and prayed it for the first time. Congratulations and welcome. Welcome to the family of God. If you prayed that prayer, I want to know you prayed it. I want you to text me five words. Go ahead and get your phone out right now. I gave you my text number earlier, Jerry Walsh, 407-923-4634. And I want you to text me these five words. Jesus is Lord. I believe. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant those words, Jesus is Lord. I believe. I want to send you something and I want to be praying for you. I'm just going to send you a note of encouragement and acknowledgement that I got your text. And I'm going to be praying for you as your pastor. Listen, I love you. I know it's been a crazy Easter, but this has been a great day for millions and millions of people. I believe that with all my heart. So I want you to have a great day today. Oh, I forgot. If you want the Easter basket, the key word to text me, two words, Easter basket. Text those in. We're going to have a big winner today, and I hope you guys will have an incredible Easter celebrating with your family. I love you. I'll see you during the week in our video devotions, and I hope you'll join us back next Sunday. God bless you. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hi, Seminole Church. Hey, SEC family. Happy Easter, Seminole Church. Happy Easter, SEC. Happy Easter, Seminole Church family. Happy Easter, Seminole Church. Happy Easter from the Lupos. Happy Easter from the Holdren's House to yours. Happy Easter, SEC. I hope you have a wonderful Easter today. Say Happy Easter, Seminole family.
I sure do miss seeing you all. We miss you. We miss you. Happy Easter, SEC. We love and miss you. Love and miss you guys. We miss you, Seminole Community Church. Hope you have a wonderful Easter today, celebrating our risen Savior. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We miss you and we hope to see you soon. From our family to yours. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter. Happy Easter. Miss and love you guys. We miss and love you all. Love you. Love you. Say bye.